Blog Talk Radio. Well, 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 here we are on Blog Talk Radio. And guess what? It's Christmas Eve morning here in 2020. I love it. So I am here in the studio at my place. And Brian Lunt is in the studio at his place. And we're ready for Christmas. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. How, How are you I, doing? I'm doing great. I'm kind of giggly about Christmas Eve. It's fun. It's a fun time of the season. You know what? It is a fabulous time of year. If you have, if you're, if you're a Christian with deep faith, you're excited in the anticipation about this arrival. You know. Yeah. And um, it's beautiful outside. No matter what the weather's doing, it's beautiful outside. Now I always pray for like two feet of snow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not popular for that a lot of the times, but. Um, so here we are. This is Blog Talk Radio. This is the K factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. So my kindness factor is I bring you the best talent, the best characters, the best stories, the best persona, and the best news. And the news is always about you and what your life is about and how you are and how you're doing in your personal life and in your business life. And so who do I have on here with me? I have a group that I call Influential. They are the influencers. They've got a voice. They've got a story. They're on a mission. I have fallen madly in love with each one of them, and I want them to co-host with me. And so I've invited them onto this platform, which, by the way, is not just here on Blog Talk Radio, but I say this at the beginning of every episode. On YouTube, we are on Partners in Excellence Media because we are the news. And today's episode is called... The Influencers, Riding a Lion with Brian Lunt. Now, Brian, why in the world do you want to be riding a wild animal through the jungle, and how does that relate to entrepreneurship? I'm glad you asked that because that's the top of mind subject um, <laughs> for me this week and, and really all of the time, the, yeah. whole, the whole essence any imagery of riding a lion is that it sounds kind of terrifying, but also looks really <laughs> amazing. And, and that is the life, the daily struggle of an entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and we've talked about it um, off and on. I've, I, I talk about this constantly with, with friends, with family members, with colleagues. What, what I have tried to emanate with this riding a lion concept is is authenticity. I mean, I, I've even teased that I've developed authenticity almost as my religion because I think authenticity is the most efficient way to be in life and business. And the authentic answer to, to being an entrepreneur is it can be terrifying and troubling at times, if not hour to hour. I was and, say at times. <laughs> and that's, you know, I, you know, as you know, I'm writing this book under the same title. And in the opening, I show this graph that has kind of this upward trajectory where everything is fantastic. I started a business. I feel great. I can conquer the world. And almost immediately it goes, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I'm so stupid. Why did I do this? And then things are good again. And then they're bad and they're good and they're bad. And it, it is just this constant up and down because entrepreneurs have to navigate so many things in their lives and have to become well-versed in all of those things. Right. And so riding a lion is all about the terrifying and exhilarating back and forth. 
and, and the constancy of, of change and challenge. And for me, it depends on the perspective you have at that moment. With, if things are going good, things are going bad. What's interesting is that you also have this perspective of people looking at you when you're on this lion and they're saying, man, this guy looks majestic. How can he do that? And others are saying that looks terrifying. I could never do that. Yeah, right. And so is the entrepreneur. Right. And so that's the whole essence of all of it is that what I, I like to do is really look at things from the inside and say entrepreneurs, yes, we share kind of this persistence and stubbornness and, and, and uh, a thirst for doing things and, and being allowed to do things the way that we want and control our lives. But it's such a scary road that we follow. Um, my antidote to a lot of that is pulling together and finding other entrepreneurs, people who think entrepreneurially and, and unite those folks so that we can talk about the hard times. We can, we can sympathize with and empathize with one another. And then we can utilize our, um, our experiences and our understandings to help, help cheerlead each other on and, 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 and help smooth out that ride. Because that's really what it comes down to is that when we're on our own, we have this constancy of up and downs. When we pull together and we, and we rely on one another, I think we start to make those ups and downs kind of smooth out a little bit. And maybe even that trajectory of growth goes from a, a lower trajectory to a higher trajectory. And so at the essence, that's what riding a lion is really all about. I like that. You know, um, I, I used to have a Rhodesian Ridgeback. And Rhodesian Ridgebacks were bred in order to go out with the hunters who wanted to hunt the lions. And, and um, before the hunters would come to shoot the lion dead, they would send the Rhodesian Ridgebacks out, and the Rhodesian Ridgebacks would bite the lion on the back end on the hamstrings, and, and, and that would cause the lion to run in a circle. And eventually the lion would lay down, and the hunters would come in and have this unfair advantage and shoot the lion. Well, the the interesting thing about that is that, you know, you see this magnificent creature, the king of the jungle, and you see this vulnerability with this little dog. You know, they're like 70 pounds, and here we've got this, this, this animal that's two or three times its size and weight. And, and when, I'm, when I've been thinking about your theme of, of riding a lion, I think, you know, you're right. It is this beautiful creature. The male or the female is this beautiful creature, the, the king being it. And, and um, when I think about being an entrepreneur, those spikes are so painful. The, the spike, I mean, the really the top point of it, when you just slide down and it's like, isn't that the arete? Isn't that the, <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and so what I look for um, in, a, in, in my own life as an entrepreneur and in, and in trying to guide others is to, um, like we said at E for E, experts for entrepreneurs, don't fly solo. You don't need to fly alone. Yeah. When you have a crew, it's not all on you. And even though it's it's a shared responsibility, and if you're the leader, you're going to feel, you know, I really need to do this for these other people. The authenticity of that, the genuine of it, and the, the load sharing, really, I think it's exactly what you described. It makes a nice wave, 
which by the way correlates with your heart wave. Mm-hmm. And we don't want the, we don't want an arrhythmia in our life. And that's what those spikes are. That's arrhythmias. We want that beautiful wave, which means that our heart is beating in a nice natural pace and rhythm, and it's really aligned with our brain. And I think that's one of the places where entrepreneurs get lost sometimes. They are so in their heart and in their gut that their mind is like racing way ahead of them, and they can't keep it straight. And then they get in trouble, don't you think? Absolutely. Making crack decisions. Wait a second. What what did you do? Well, and it comes down to, um, you know, sometimes uninformed decisions because you feel as if you need to act quickly or you need to make a decision quickly in order to continue to move forward. But sometimes a poor decision can actually take you two steps backwards. But having that group of people around you, you know, whether it's an an advisory role or it's, you know, other um, entrepreneurs that you're surrounded by or employees, when you can go to them for credible feedback, it helps insulate a little bit against some of those quick decisions uh, and making bad decisions, but it's, it never goes away. I mean, that's the whole thing about running a business. And, and in, in the analogy for me, the, the lion is the business. The person is the business owner, uh, the person trying to navigate it. And so what's interesting about that too is that we can be scared of success in some, in some regards. When you talk about that peak being really high, that's pro- I'm probably more scared of success than I am of failure. I actually don't really think about failure because to me, one of the things I teach on, one of the things that I uh, practice is if you are comfortable with the worst case scenario, yeah. that you can accomplish a lot because you've already figured out, okay, if things go really, really bad, I can handle it. But what sometimes we don't uh, understand is what if things go really, really good? <laughs> Then how do I manage all this wonderful success? And then you're riding this lion at full speed going, how do I hang on to this thing? Exactly. And it's, 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 again, it's that balance. It's about creating that balance in our lives. You know, one of the things, I'm so glad that you brought that up because what I hear myself saying, particularly this year, is things are going in this direction. Why? Like there's all these magnificent things, and I've shared this with you. There's all these magnificent, uh, these magnificent things that have happened this year in this very, unusual year of massive volatility and uncertainty and yet you know i'm 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 in the midst of this mindset and this in this heartbeat of what i see are the solutions and and what i'm doing brian is i'm allowing them yeah so what we what we get into when we're afraid of success and people go i am not i i want that million dollars you do then where is it? Well, yeah. I have to do this, that, and the other thing. And then, you know, like this will happen or that. No, that million dollars is already there. That That's not money that's going to be printed fresh for you. It's already there. But what are you doing to not allow it? And mm-hmm. then people feel kind of defensive, like, are you telling me I'm blocking this? Like I'm preventing it? I'm asking you. I'm not mm-hmm. telling you anything. I'm just asking you. But we do. And so there's this readiness factor, right? So the fear of success for entrepreneurs, you know, and this is a big thing. Oh, my gosh. This has given me tremendous angst. This thing that people call entrepreneurial scourge, entrepreneurial suffering. And, oh, my gosh. What, What are you talking about? This is about dream fulfillment, not 
clawing and suffering. I thought you didn't want to go corporate and go mainstream jobs because you didn't want to claw your way to the top of a ladder. There's no ladder here. You know, you're just doing the reach. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a general sense and I think it's more in marketing. I think it's more in um, projecting a certain persona. There's been this kind of, grind mentality, struggle yeah. mentality. Like you're not just killing yourself. You're not trying hard enough. Yeah. And, and you need to be running at a thousand miles per hour all the time and everything you do, or you're never going to succeed. And I actually look at it at the absolute opposite direction yeah. that at the point that you have maintained a, a control or you feel fulfilled with the amount of time and money and balance you have in your life, for me, that's what success looks like. It's not filling every single minute of every single day with all this grind mentality to get as much as you can. It's, no, I now have financial freedom, and I have time freedom, and I can choose how to, you know, navigate my life the way that I want because this lion I have tamed, and this lion does what I tell it to do, and it goes and gets my food and comes back and feeds me, and it's and that's really the mentality that I'm looking for is how can you create a business that helps you manage the life that you want to lead? Mm-hmm. If you have a business that is killing you yeah. and that you, you have created yourself a job, you have created yourself somewhat right. of a prison. Right. And so it, the essence for me is about creating a lifestyle uh, that you want to, that you want to enjoy. And, and it's, it's all possible. Um, but you have to, it, it is a bit about perspective. Um, friend of mine, Bing Dempiewolf, who, who was on our call yesterday, right. she is tremendously talented uh, at what she does, but she has a struggling type of mentality. And so anytime she feels a little bit above the fold and things are going really, really well, it feels very uncomfortable for her because her normal, her homeostasis is struggle. She's just used to always grinding and having all this turmoil going on. So anytime she feels good about where things are going, sometimes there's self-sabotage. Sometimes there's, oh, yeah. there's a way to try and come back to that that comfort level, even though it's very, very uncomfortable. Right. Of what you're it's used familiar. to. Yeah, it's familiarity. It's that right. homeostasis, you know, pattern. So um, I have been trying to um, – to help her with the mindset that says it's okay to be successful. It's okay to take a breath and understand that you're worth very, very much to the, to the people that you serve and that feeling good about that. And, and being in that is a very healthy thing and good for her. Um, and so, but it's breaking. I'm sorry. Does she know that she does this? She does, you know, but, and it's, and I think it's going to be a lifelong challenge because there's a lot of, there's a lot of upbringing that is, you know, uh, built into her mindset. And so I think she's struggled her entire life. Um, that's what she knows. And, and so it's going to take getting comfortable with success, getting comfortable with riding the lion at a, at a higher level, uh, before I think she'll, she'll let go of some of that struggle. Well, so yesterday was the first day that I met her. And so for our listening audience, what Brian does at the business club is every Wednesday he brings together his core people who are the foundation of the business club. And there's 12 of them. 
And I, I said to him, you've got the apostles there. So that's lovely. And, and Bing is this um, beautiful Asian woman. I thought it was lovely to meet her yesterday. And, and she, she runs an HR group, right? Or she's an HR consultant of some sort. Yeah, she's essentially a fractional HR department. So she can provide the expertise and the quality to anyone who needs HR functionality and functionality plus. She does a tremendous amount of, of good things at a, uh, an affordable level. You don't want to bring in an entire HR department and hire them all as employees. Well, right. she can handle the portion that you need at a fractional basis. So one of the things that I make note of when I'm meeting people, you know, you look at people and you can size them up and, and people say, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, I can tell by the cover if I want to read the book. Oh, I sort of rebel that idea. But she was this lovely woman, demure, obviously intelligent and, and with real strength. And that's why she's one of your masters is because she's in there and she's got a real position. So in, in speaking of her, I, I want to honor that she is a perfect role model for us of mm-hmm. somebody who's beautiful and bright and ready and equipped. And yet, and I will confess to the same disease that she's got, and you can too. We're yeah. in this together. We, she's got a cute name, so why not use that? I mean, who has a name like that? It's adorable. We, we rise to the best, mm-hmm. whether it's in our personal life and, and we're working out and then we quit. We're, we're losing weight and then we quit. Uh, we're dating and it's going well. And we go, nah, I can't be this good. Yeah, just so then you screwed up. You know, we do these things to get in the way, not allow our own best to yep. really not just actualize, but maintain. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think that some of it is that none of us really, truly think we're good enough. It, it's that and, and that, that normalized, what is normal, what is typical, what is average, I think there's a lot of science that backs that up. I've been on my own uh, health journey for the last year and a half. And, and, and full disclosure, I was up to like a 220 pounds when I got to the point where I thought, I just don't feel good. I don't look good. I want to change this. Something has to happen. Well, yeah. my normal had been, I kind of fluctuated around 205, 210. Yeah. And that was pretty normal for many, many years. And so I knew if I could get back down to that, I'd feel okay again, just average. But I said, I don't want to, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for feeling good, looking good. I want to get in really good shape. And so I said, I'm going to get down to 185, which is middleweight, you know, for, uh, for boxers and and guys. And I said, I'm going to get down to 185 and I'm going to do it by my birthday. And and that was my goal. And, and I said, that's going to be the new benchmark. It's not 210. It's not 205. It's 185 pounds. And so that way I got to, I got to set my goals and my pathway towards that new normal, that new focused goal. And, and I reached 183 and a half pounds on my birthday. Really? And so I got where I wanted to be. Now, what happens with most people who set a weight loss journey, they hit that mark and then they forget what their new normal is. They revert back to the old normal. So my old normal might have been 205 and I would have naturally just started to come back to 205. Yeah, right. 
But in my head, I said, 185 is the benchmark forever. And so now I have fluctuated down all the way to 180. Yeah. And, and now it's the holidays. So I've been up at like 189 recently. <laughs> but the point is, is that 185 is my new homeostasis. It's yeah. my new normal. And anytime, I, like I'm at 189 right now, I'm thinking, I'm getting nervous because I'm thinking I'm, I'm heading that direction. I better get back to my 185. So I'm going to go trudge in the snow if I have to and make sure I'm uh, hitting my marks. <laughs> That's great. You know, it, isn't it funny the way that um, the human condition is such that we, we aspire and we get excited about that vision and we work towards it. And we're going and we're going and then you, then you get there and you're so happy about it. And then so often it's like we were talking before we got on the air here. Oh, this is too good to be true. Yeah. Or this person must be too good to be true. No, just believe it. You know, unless it's it, unless it's something really nefarious, it's good. It's a it's a grand thing. It's a beautiful thing. And if you if you watch people and interview people who are really accomplished, I don't care who it is, everybody suffers. Yeah. That's the everybody. Condition. No one is exempt. Yeah. That's, that's a fact. I mean, that's a fact that we cannot deny. The Dalai Lama, who I had the pleasure of meeting, is also a person who prescribes to us that the ultimate meditative state is white noise. It's mm. just And what does he try every day to achieve? The white noise. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about somebody who's got all of humanity coming into his head and in every cell of his body. I mean, his his energetic field is really something. By the way, I have a cute story about him that fits in exactly what we're talking about. When When you see him in person at an event, he's very childlike. You know, we see him when he's sitting and he's talking, he's talking about survival of Tibet and there's not going to be another Dalai Lama after him, which is true, by the way. Um, That's interesting. Oh yeah. No, in, in Tibet, you are chosen by the community. He was chosen. I think when he was uh, six, my Lama was chosen when he was a little bit older, a few years older than that. But your, your family is invited to, take you into the monastery and raise you and educate you and have you become a monk and court you. And so the Dalai Lama is recruited and this is the assignment, you know, you're the chosen one. Well, my, my Lama was there be, and he was the high priest of the monastery, knew the Dalai Lama, of course, and he was kidnapped by the Chinese army hmm. and, and, and held and, uh, actually escaped confinement with two other prisoners and walked from where he was in prison to India. I mean, in the winter with two pairs of sandals between the three of them and no coats. And he talks wow. about how you use, you use um, yoga, you know, your yoga is not just your movement exercise. It is your soul. It is your everything. And wow. you use it to modulate your body temperature and, you know, he would talk about the ways in which they would do, um, you know, snow 
make bake a broth out of the snow by putting pine needles in it and sipping it because you can raise your body temperature uh, really easily to your extremities with what you do with your mind. And, mm-hmm. and I've taught people to do this to help them understand the mind-body connection. But when he's talking about this, um, the, the, the sadness about Tibet is that the, the Chinese government has decided they don't want Tibet to exist anymore. And they don't want the Dalai Lamas to exist anymore because they're about freedom of mind and the Chinese culture is not. It's about government um, authority and obedience. And so if you now send your son into the monastery, we will kill you. Hmm. So your son can go, but we will kill all of you. Wow. And so people aren't sending them in anymore. So we won't have the Dalai Lama. Now, the Dalai Lama, even in the face of that, he's got this very childlike affect. So when you're sitting in his audience, have you ever gone to see him at a, at a live event? I have not. <laughs> this is so funny. I've seen him a couple times. Uh, one time, who was it? It was, um, oh, gosh. He's a really rowdy actor who's got, oh, Sean Penn. He's at the microphone and he's standing there and he's going to introduce the Dalai Lama. And, and he's talking and he's all, you know, revved up and serious about it. And out from behind the curtain comes the Dalai Lama. He sneaks up behind him and appears next to his head. And he's like, whoa, <laughs> Dalai Lama joke. And he's just playful. Well, when I saw him, um, he, he comes out on the stage uh, with, with people who walk him out there mm-hmm. and like he, he's like a little three-year-old boy. He's got his, his hands up, his, his elbows bent and his hands up and they're holding on to his hands and they sit him in a, in a beautiful chair. That's like a throne with the big arm rests. Mm-hmm. And he's got a little table next to him with a, a hot tea with a lid on it. So it stays hot for him. And then there's somebody who's always sitting on the stage with him who is his interpreter. So he's talking and he doesn't always, you know, he speaks English, but he doesn't always get it it right. And so he's got to have something. So, you know, you're watching him and he's going back and forth. And um, it's a beautiful thing to watch, to watch someone who is so sacred, known throughout the world, so powerful, so influential, and yet he is striving for peace of mind. Mm-hmm. He is striving for his ongoing continued success in the way of having meaningful influence. So if this is a person who is so practiced, still on the journey, then every day that we accomplish even a component of being in our best mind and accomplishing something. We should be so proud of ourselves. But most of the time we're saying, me included, yeah, but, you know, I got this list and there's all these other things and I got to do this and that and the numbers. Yeah, it really is where we can unite. And that's what's interesting about it for me with the number of people that I've met over the years I can find a commonality because we all have this human condition and we all have this struggle in common 
we just perceive it differently because we all have our own understanding of what it is and, and how we face it. But what I enjoy doing is finding that commonality among people and saying, you know, what are you, what are you struggling with right now? What kind of things can we work together on that are going to make your life easier? And when you do that in a group setting, you have two or three other people go, I struggle with that too. And, yeah. and you all of a sudden realize, I think a lot of people struggle with this thing <laughs> and, and, and folks just aren't talking about it. Right. Um, it's funny, this, this same kind of theme uh, came up at, at my Bible study this morning, and I, I shared um, this sitcom idea that I've had for a number of years called In Between the Pictures. Oh. And so social media is obsessed with showcasing the greatest picture and, sh and, and you know, the best of what we are. And look, look at how wonderful I look in my Christmas sweater with my Christmas background and all these, you know, <laughs> great ways to present ourselves. Yeah where, you know, I could have been running back and forth and trying to print myself and doing all these other things in between how I'm presenting myself. And to me, that's real life. That is, I, yeah, absolutely. I want to see you screaming at your spouse or your kids and, you know, having struggle and, and dealing with whatever is going on. Those are the things to me that I enjoy discussing with people and, and navigating because that's in between the pictures of us putting our best foot forward and, and, I find Facebook and, and other social media, um, I don't even go on Instagram for the most part because it's complete, completely fake to me. Like the whole thing is just let's put on our model makeup and let's get our best outfit and let's make sure the lighting and the setting and all looks fantastic, <laughs> which is great, but it's not, it's not real life. You know, it's not, it's not us sharing this common struggle that we're going through and navigating these ups and downs. And that's to me where I have the most fun because I enjoy seeing someone struggle with something that they internalized, bringing it to the forefront and go, yeah, I guess that's not that bad when I share it amongst everybody. And you all go, yeah, I deal with that too. And so it takes that internal prison almost and brings it out to the, to the masses. And, and we all see, yeah, you know, that guy riding that lion's he's scared to death too. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so so I, I look at Instagram and I think, well, you know what? This is wonderful because it's so inspired. Mm -hmm. So um, a girl who worked for me, who I absolutely adore, uh, Tara, beautiful girl. And when we were getting to know each other and she was going to handle all my social media, and she did for many years, um, she put together my Instagram for me. I, did, I didn't even, you know, it's like Insta what? Yeah, my, and, my mom does all of mine. I don't even, I, well, I'll tell I'm you, amazed at what she posts on my behalf. You know what? And isn't it amazing? Because that's your mom. This girl got to know me so quickly and she put together, I mean, it looked like my garden. It looked like my kitchen, my dishes, mm -hmm. everything. She nailed me. I mean, she really captured my visions and my actual tangible life. Well, here's what's beautiful about that. In the midst of people struggling and, and not, not realizing their greatness, really, that when they touch excellence, you know, we reach for it. Do you touch it? Yeah, but then when you touch it, you go, yeah, but I got more to do. I like creating tangible outcomes because then you see them and you can say, oh, yeah. Oh, right. I did do that. Look at that. Whether yeah. it's the way that you've decorated or it's a publication or it's a photograph, 
whatever it is, it is real life, Brian. It's just, it doesn't show all the agony. So with Facebook, one of the things that I do, (laughs) this kind of works. I don't know. It kind of works for me. And then I think, what am I doing? I have times when I go on Facebook and I'll do live. And I mean, I don't have any makeup on. I got my hair up in a bun with a pencil stuck through my head. And, you know, I'm just raw. I, I've done some Facebook lives where I'm out on the beach and I'm walking and the wind is blowing. My hair is straight up. Well, there was some guy who got uh, a friend of mine had introduced me to him and said, I think you might want to get to know this guy on LinkedIn. So I'm thinking it's a business connect, right? Because it's LinkedIn. It's not match. You know, it's yeah. LinkedIn. Well, he thought that I was approaching him for like a, a romantic relationship. And he's like, well, send me, send me some photographs of yourself, one in a bikini. And I was like, I said, I'm not, I don't think you understand. I'm not interested in you like that. And I wouldn't send anybody a picture of me. No. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not, this isn't a catalog. What are you doing? <laughs> well, unbeknownst to me, he, he came onto my Facebook and I happened to be doing a Facebook live later, like that day or the next day. Well, I guess he was really, he was really Because <laughs> first of all, I didn't honor his request to, you know, send him what he wanted. But he was appalled that I was out there. He's like, you are not the girl for me. <laughs> no makeup. Your hair is insane. <clears throat> and you're walking out. And, you know, it's like 30 degrees outside. You're, you're, you're nuts. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Here's the thing. That is my real life. Yeah. You know, so my hair, my hair, it blows in the wind. And I think it's funny. So I'm out there laughing hysterically with all this. Now, would I show up to work with a client like that? Well, my client wants me to be multiversed in life. They can go look at that video. But when I show up to help them, they have to know that I'm sane, I'm collected, and I'm pulled together. Right. So if you and I showed up here and we were in our pajamas with our hair all tussled, you know, and laying back on the couch and drinking coffee, they'd probably go, what are these two people bums or, you know, what is it exactly? So there's an inspired quality. I like the idea of your sitcom. Yeah. Between the pictures. Yeah. I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. Um, Oh, good. You know, all the moments that we're in have context and yeah. and, and are are appropriate to the moment, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I play the role. I mean, I always put on the right um, facade for the 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 positions that I'm in. You yeah. know, if I'm running a group or I'm having a business meeting or I'm meeting with a client, that's going to be different than if I'm having a drink with a friend and so on. Right. But my my antidote to all of that i actually mentioned this in the, in the blog that i sent out this week about uh an exercise that i do with clients called the i am exercise mm-hmm. and it's it's essentially instead of saying i want to get to 185 pounds you want to say i am healthy or i want to make a million dollars you want to say i am wealthy and so it's about getting to a point where what do you want to be yeah you know and then saying it as if it is already happens so you have the visualization and you're and you're starting to raise your wavelength and your energy level to be becoming that being that right yep. and so for me it's about 
um, you know, these internal mantras that I say, I'm, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, I'm a good father, I'm a good son, I'm a, you know, a good friend. Those are the types of things that I want to instill inside of myself as my being so that when I go to um, navigate my own behaviors, they have to be representative of the way that I want to be. Absolutely. And it also takes away the focus from the future and puts it more on the present because if I'm not going to be happy until I make a million dollars or until I hit 185 pounds, then the happiness is always in the future. But if I say I am healthy, I am wealthy, I am happy, that's about doing things right now. Yeah. And then I will be happy now and I'll be happy in the future as well. And Absolutely. so it, it's, a, it's a fun exercise. It's a good way to kind of not trick yourself, but start, you know, absorbing the energy of being what it is that you want. And, and ultimately, if you start now, as opposed to sometime in the future, um, all of a sudden that happens in the future as well. You know, it's interesting about that. Um, I've talked to you about this whole uh, world that has opened up to me that is just luscious. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've worked with and met and been around Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield and Alex Mendozian and Mike Koenigs and Alexandra Brown and James Malinchek. I mean, you know, go to events with them, go to their homes, go to whatever. And it's wonderful. It's marvelous. And, and to be in their energy is phenomenal. And, and what I wanted to do was to be able to walk into Quantum University um, started by an amazing uh, guy, Dr. Paul, and East Indian, and so his last name, it, you know, doesn't stick in my mind. I have to see it in print. But in that, in that faculty group is Dr. Bruce Lipton, who is just the biology of, of us, and he's brilliant and a great speaker, just so academic and brilliant. And, um, really intense about what he does. And, and then um, Dr. Do Joe Dispenza, who is so immersed in, in this experience of neuroscience and what it means. And, and I got to get uh, closer into that through uh, Stephen E. Uh, Schmidt, now Redford, Stephen E. Redford. He, he had a discovery in his life and got to change his last name. Um, because he's working with Dr. Patrick Porter, who created the Brain Tap, and and all these gentlemen are talking about what you're talking about, energy and frequency and neuroscience and and brain activity. So for any of our listeners who are thinking, oh, this is woo, no, there are people who pretend to know this stuff and and really don't know what they're talking about. And that's always dangerous, but we're talking about real science. So Joe Dispenza, and this is something that uh, you ignited in me, is a memory of a video that he's got on YouTube that is about my daughter manifested a shopping event. Did you ever hear this one? I haven't. Oh, my gosh. His little girl, she's a little teenager, she had a desire for something that she wanted. And he said, tell me what it is. She said, I want to go shopping. I want to have this shopping screen, Daddy. And he said, I want you to meditate, and I want you to experience it full out, mm -hmm. no holds barred. 
And so she goes through this whole thing that she tells him about, and she's in it, and she's shopping, and she's on Rodeo Drive, and oh, my gosh. And then there's this on the rack, and this, and I put this on it, this is stuff. Well, he said, that's beautiful. Well, she's out with a friend, and that daddy said, here's the credit card to go. And those two girls went out shopping. And he asked her, did you feel guilty? And she said, no, because it was exactly exactly as I envisioned it. And he was really proud of her. And, you know, this is all legitimate. Nobody was taking advantage of anything. But the point about it is exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. If what you do, twofold, if what you do is you're, you're way over here and you're saying, I'm not happy. I want to be way over there. Then I'll be happy. Well, you can't get from icky to splendor like that. You have to take the journey. And on that journey, the only way you get to walk on that path is if you say, I am. Mm -hmm. I am. And and then you you are on your way to becoming it. And when you arrive, you are it. Otherwise, it's like saying, I really want to be married and I want to live in a wonderful home. <clears throat> with a great husband. Well, what if all of a sudden, boom, out there, I'd be like, oh my God, what's the address? And who is this man? Yeah. We have to get yeah. ready for everything. Uh-huh. And it's for our business success as well, right? Well, and I think you're pointing out the, the fact, and, and um, uh, one of my friends, uh, Dr. Laurel Clark, who does, uh, she was at the School of Metaphysics for many, many years. She always talks about the 12 universal laws yeah. and uh, two being, the law of attraction, which became very uh, prominent with the secret and all the other things, that came, which I think Bruce Lipton might have even been in. Um, and and they talk about the law of attraction. If you think about it, you know, and visualize these things, they could happen. But what Laurel always talks about is there's also another law called the law of action. And if you don't connect the two, nothing's going to happen. Right. And so if you have these folks that sit around and just imagine this miraculous life they want to have someday, <laughs> The, the game of if you won the lottery, what would you have? Yeah, right. Maybe if you think hard enough, you'll win the lottery, but it's much more uh, scientific and it's much more possible if you attach the law of attraction and visualization to the law of action. Right. And that's the whole point is that I want this. I want to be this. Okay, now that you be, you have to become that. You have exactly. to actually do something about it. That's right. right. So if you want to win the lottery, see, here's the problem I have. I think it would be great to win the lottery in a couple ways, but I really don't. It scares me to have everybody know. So I have an avoidance mechanism. And what's my avoidance mechanism? I don't buy the tickets. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's, I, and, and when I did a couple of times, I I was, I was married and I'd say to my husband, Ooh, we should, we should go and buy this thing because, you know, we're going to win the lottery. Darling girl, we haven't won it. We bought a ticket. I think we won ten dollars one time. You know, it's like yeah. let's go buy a yacht. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's it is a fun game to play. But I think you know we're talking about quantum physics. We're talking about energy. That's right. You know, money is just a vehicle for stored energy. It's looking at labor that we can uh, and value that we can equate in some kind of medium of exchange, which becomes dollars. 
And if you look at the energy of money and handing somebody that level of energy when they're not prepared for it, right. it can crush people. And I've, I've seen it. I mean, as a banker, we, we knew clients who had won lottery winnings and one gentleman had won millions of dollars and he would come into the bank every year and get loans because he hadn't received the other million for the, for his, you know, year long stipend. And it was amazing how this man just, just flew through money and it was, it was almost miserable. I mean, he was, oh, man. It, it was, it was, it's difficult to watch personally. And you see all these stories about people who have, who have received this level of energy and they don't know what to do with it right, because that's right. it, it's not fulfilling in the way that earning money and that, you know, having causes and other things can, can lead to. Um, so it's a really strange um, transfer, but I have to plug one of the books. I, I went on a, on a long um, episode of reading and studying and researching uh, in kind of some of these realms, spiritual and scientific, and the combination of the two this year because 2020 was like no other. I had multiple days where I could grab an audio book and go for a five-mile walk and, and listen to almost a book a day. So I had a, a lot of fun with that. Um, Dr. Laura Berman, who's been on the – I think she's in the Chicago area. She's been on the Oprah show a number of times. She wrote a book called Quantum Love, oh. and, and it goes through the essence of love and energy and the different levels of energy and how at a frequency you can see the, the lower tiers of, you know, hate and anger and, and depression, and, and they're at these, like, small digit tens and twenties and hundreds and things like that, and then you get up into the higher uh, energy levels of, you know, hope and love and, and, you know, just wonderful essence. And they're in the hundreds. And so there's a lot, there's a lot of interesting things that she says in the book, but what's neat is that if you can get people on the love spectrum, on the love energy, you could have somebody that's at a 100 that can share enough energy with 70 people that are at a 10. And so it just shows you the impact of making that, that, the progression in energy level uh, and moving upward, what kind of impact and energy it can have on others and on our world. And so a big part of what I uh, look to do is raising that vibration, raising that energy level. Mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully that helps <clears throat> raise the energy level of the people around us. Um, and that's part of navigating all this internal struggle and human condition that we all share. Absolutely. And we do emit and exchange our energy. That's why we want to be around somebody who has a good vibe, you know? Yeah. And, and I know, um, I put, I put a lot of consciousness into the energy that I'm going to open up a show with, that I'm going to walk into a meeting with, I'm going to walk into a room with, and, and, uh, you know, usually people, I mean, I'm pretty likable when I was, when I was getting my last book published, I had these PR firms and they're doing all this work on me along with the publisher. They're, they're, they're measuring my likability index. And they, <laughs> and they were so proud of themselves when they said, well, Deb, we just want you to know you have a high likability index. And I said, I have a high lovability index. What are you talking about? You know, but the point about that is, is that when you do and you meet with people, you're at a, you're at a high frequency of happiness Mm -hmm. And you meet with people who are at a low ebb. Mm -hmm. You can either lift them up or you can just really take them, tick them off. Because yeah. it's like, don't be putting your good mojo on my sinkhole. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? Then you're resisting. 
And my question to you is why refuse the invitation? Because when I'm in a sinkhole, I want people who are going to get me the heck out of there because it's like a swamp. You know, it's like goo in there and you want to just get out of there. So I have a trick I do with people. I'll, I'll have them like put butter on their hands, imaginary, just butter them up, imaginary butter, get them all looped up. Now run it through your scalp because you're stuck in your brain. We got to get you some mind grease to get out of there. You've been putting glue in there and loosen up your thoughts and allow yourself to have some new thoughts come in because we get so attached. And, and you know, as entrepreneurs, going back to this riding the lion, when, when people, and I thought that this was really interesting, when in our meeting yesterday, you were talking about living the extraordinary, not living the ordinary. And and living not living monotony, but living this other this other beautiful way, right, of being. And you know, I I, I have turned I have turned this off, Brian. Wait, wait. <laughs> um, hey, that's reality. Hey, people want the good vibe. What can I tell you? They're trying to get in there. That's right. Um. The the thing that um, that I look at is what is it that that we can all do as entrepreneurs that is extraordinary. I mean, when you live, what is extra? What is extraordinary? It's extraordinary, and extraordinary people think you want to like fly to the moon. No, I'm talking about extraordinary. That life is that happy. That yeah. life is that good, that life has surprises, that life has joyfulness and love and fun and playfulness. So when people resist the extraordinary because they think that you're talking about something else, it always kind of throws me off a little bit. And, and when I when I taught at Washington University, I taught all this whole range of classes. And my most popular class was psychopathology, abnormal psychology. And I would ask these kids, why are you so jacked up about being in here? Ooh, because I think I think my mother's bipolar, my brother's schizophrenic, and, you know, my brother, my other brother's depressed, and my roommate is neurotic. And I'd say, you know, mental illness is actually very rare. Yep. No. How about if what we do is we look at the extremes and and remember that they're extremes and they're rare – and by the way, quit trying to diagnose people. You're not credentialed to do it. And it's mm-hmm. a dangerous game to play. So for us as entrepreneurs, we're looking at not psychopathology, not abnormal behavior, but that ride of the lion where, you know, some days you are just almost afraid to get on it, but you do it anyway. Other days you think maybe it'd be nice to have a blanket on here. Then other days, you know, you're on there riding bareback and you're holding on to his mane. And having the courage to take the ride because we want to see our dream fulfilled. We want to actualize it. Well, one of the things that I enjoy doing is finding the extraordinary in, in seemingly ordinary people. Mm-hmm. And what I dislike about society and groupthink is that there are predisposed notions about what success looks like 
You need yeah. to be up on a stage. You need to have a show. You need to have all these people fawning all over you. You need to have the perfect pictures and the perfect everything. And that that's not success to me. To me, success is being very comfortable in your own skin, being in environments that make you thrive, and doing work that you love. Yeah. And that's extraordinary to me. And so what I love to do is find people who – I would much rather find a gardener thinks that gardening is the most majestic, wonderful thing. And they had, they tend to this small set of grounds and everything is beautiful to them. Yeah. I would much rather look at the light inside of that person than talk to a CEO who ran, who runs a fortune 500 company and has all of this stuff going on. That sounds chaotic to me, right? Yeah. I want somebody who has the simplicity of their passion. That's what I try to find. That's, that those are the people that I'm attracted to because to me, simpler is better. It's more efficient. And so if we can find the extraordinary in the seemingly ordinary and place people in the right roles, you're going to find a gardener and a custodian and, a, and, and, and all the park rangers. And I mean, the normal people, quote unquote, yeah. who love what they do. And that to me is a very extraordinary thing because all of these roles are, are important to our society. And when we can match people into the right roles, I think that we're going to have an, an extraordinary impact on the world. And so always with the mass media and the advertising, the marketing and all these things that get driven into our heads, thinking about what society, whatever that means, it, it deems successful. I want to find what people believe is successful and, and bring that out inside of them and make it not so Hollywood version, but more just reality. You know, what's really interesting is um, <clears throat> being a woman, being really domestic in my, in my absolute core, success for me is when business is really humming and I have time to nurture my home. Like yesterday, I was so happy to have cousins over and, and invite them in and make a homemade soup and homemade bread and you know, toast with champagne and Italian appetizers and spend hours just talking and loving and looking out the window and enjoying one another. I went to bed last night feeling very successful. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, it, and, it, and, and what we need to do is be honest with people and say, <laughs> would you trade that for a weekend in Monaco with a billionaire? I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, one, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with this. One of my favorite exercises or presentations that I ever saw was uh, Phil crew went around and asked adults if they could choose three or four people, living or dead, the most amazing people that they could ever think of to have at a dinner party. Mm -hmm. Who would it be? Who would you choose? And they had all these, oh, I would, the Dalai Lama and Leonardo da Vinci and Jesus and uh, the President of the United States and all of these characters, you know? Then they asked kids, and it, it chokes me up when I think about this. They asked the kids, well, obviously my mom would be there and my dad would be there. And they picked all the most important people in their life. And you think, how beautiful is it to have that simplicity to be able to just say, the people that I love the most are right in front of me. I don't, I don't care about the Dalai Lama. I don't care about the president of the United States. I'm with my cousins. I'm with my family. I'm with the people I love. And that's what makes it extraordinary, extraordinary life. And so 
that's what riding the lion is all about. How do we how do we help navigate those pitfalls? How do we really analyze and understand what makes means the most to us and get rid of all the other noise and junk yeah. and just focus in on those things that make us extraordinary. I love that. This has been a great show. And as you as you describe that what the children say, what I was thinking is for me, I would I would love to have a dinner party with my mother and dad there because they're both gone. And and they showed all the parents watching their children and every one of them was just heartbroken that they didn't feel that way. It was really sweet. Yeah. I'll have to find that clip because it was a, it was a really beautiful clip. I would love that. That's awesome. Well, so what does your Christmas Eve and Christmas day look like Mr. Brian Lund? Well, I'm an entrepreneur, workaholic, so I'll be working all day. Um, <laughs> I do get some time to go work out with my my good buddy John Zarbach at BioFit, which is the Maybe most amazing technology on. on the planet. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's another one of those work things that's very personal because we have a great relationship and that's I enjoy great. hanging out with him. Um, I get to spend Christmas Eve with my mom and my grandmother, and then uh, tomorrow morning is all about the kids waking up with Santa and. Uh, and a full day of feasting and, and friends and family. And so, um, you know, it's, it's trying to navigate the differences between the, the purpose of the season, you know, and the, and the faith aspect and understanding why we're there to celebrate, but also enjoying, you know, the, the, the cultural aspects and the, and the consumerism that I don't always love, but I know that, that the kids and the season, all, it all kind of hopefully molds together to make a really special time. Right. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do all my traditional things. Um, I, Christmas Eve used to be about a combination of all the Polish traditions and the Swedish traditions. Then we found Austrian, so I'm really bad things. <laughs> so I'm going to be Austrian and Swedish and a uh, little French in there, and I'll have a, a wonderful Merry Christmas. And Brian, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you too, Deb. Okay, we will see you all in a week. No, we'll see you Monday for our other episode. So bear with me, Brian. Now we close this out. Goodbye, friends. This has been another episode. We love being here with you. <laughs>